That's my intimidation move. It's nice. I am very intimidated. Oh, I know. Well, welcome into Down the Hall Podcast. Uh, Lyndon did not join us for this one tonight. We had to work around a couple different people's schedules, and, well, he uh, he just isn't as committed to the show as we once yeah. thought. He, he couldn't make the flight. Well, I think he's mid-flight now. We did have him fly out here to try and make the interview. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, what do you think the show budget is, uh, is geared towards? Lyndon's uh, flights. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Well, anyway, I'm Chet. I'm here with Rodney, and we have a very special episode for you guys tonight. As you know, uh, one of the features of Down the Hall Podcast is we have been blessed and beyond appreciative of the fact that we've been able to interview several actors and directors and just contributors to the films that we talk about. And tonight, we get to interview Daniel Krauss, who is the co-author of The Shape of Water. Now, The Shape of Water is a film that if you haven't heard of yet, you're going to hear a lot about in the coming weeks because it just got nominated for 13 different awards in this year, in this year's Oscars. 13. That's a lot. Including Best Picture, which obviously is the big one, mm -hmm. the big one. Uh, best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, that's Guillermo del Toro, or as our guest referred to him as, Guillermo. Uh, best original music score, best original screenplay, cinematography, costume design, film editing, sound mixing, sound editing, and production and production design. Production. Production. Did it also get an award for production? Also production. Wow. Yeah. So fourteen. The point is, this is a movie that is already very decorated and one that Rodney and I have both seen, mm -hmm. and uh, we think is definitely worth seeing. Absolutely. Uh, so here we are. We get to interview Daniel Krauss, who um, you know co-wrote. The novel. It's with a really crazy Guillermo story. Story. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, usually when you think about a novel or versus a book, one comes before the other. Either the the movie is the adaptation of yeah. the book or the book is the novelization of the movie. It's it's yeah. one comes before the other. The but it, age old question, should you watch it or should you read it? Right. And in this case, it's both because mm -hmm. literally, as we found out in this interview, or as we're, you know, sharing with you here. The movie and the book were written and created literally mm. at the exact same time, simultaneously. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting in this interview to hear kind of those moments of pause because the the book is coming out in a month uh, in a month from when this releases. So you know those moments of pause where he is talking about what's different, but then like, well, I'm, I don't want to give it away. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, like he, he, so it's uh, there's there's some interesting stuff. Um, that that he talks about yeah there's a little bit uh, almost tension where i'm, I'm kind of trying to push him a little bit to to give us a little bit of a spoiler and he just won't do it which is fine i can't mm. wait to read this book though it's gonna be cool yeah no i agree yeah and so again his name is daniel kraus that's k-r-k-r-a-u-s and i definitely encourage you to go to danielkraus.com where you can see all of his other novels that he's written because yeah. he was an established author prior yeah. to any of this happening yeah he also talks in this interview about what it that does genuinely seem like this like historical fiction that would be really fascinating, but he did describe it as like two really big books, like basically a projects that he said that he doesn't know that he'll top. And I remember thinking, I want to say that I could read those, but I would <laughs> definitely have to get them on audiobook. Sure. So, uh, so we're gonna take a break away from saving a movie night this week, and I guess we can say go see Shape of Water in theaters. It is out there right now. Um, but we hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, we are always appreciative to be able to have these types of mm -hmm. conversations with people, and uh, we thought Daniel was really great. So yeah. it's a see. movie night pick, but it's just gonna cost you a little money. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Little money. Just a little. What's money in the big scheme of things? Money. Yeah. I also think it might be grand scheme of things, not big screen scheme of things. Big screen of things is where you see the theater. God. Just start it. Just hit play. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Daniel Krauss, 
co-author of The Shape of Water novel with Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Down the Hall Podcast. This is Down the Hall Podcast with your hosts, Chet Jobert. It's Black Hawk Down with aliens. What's the problem? Rodney Hart. Oh, definitely would have been Team Jake. Not the vampire. You don't root for a vampire. And if you're lucky, Lyndon Wells. I thought Chet was going to launch into his terrible British accent again. Beer Garden. Beer Garden was pretty spot <laughs> that was on. pretty good. No, he definitely got that. Well, welcome in. My name's Chet. I'm here with Rodney and our very special guest, Daniel Krauss, who is the author of the novelization, the book of The Shape of Water, which, as we discussed, this is a movie that is getting all sorts of uh, Oscar attention, 13 different Huge. nominations, um, and it all started uh, in the mind of our guest tonight. So with that, Daniel, we'd love to welcome you in. Hey, glad to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Where are you recording from right now? I'm in Chicago. Very cool. Now, this, this movie, this film is getting all sorts of attention, obviously directed by Guillermo del Toro, um, but... An amazing story we learned recently was that it all came from your mind, and then years later you were just talking about something else with Del Toro, and it kind of came up over breakfast. Can you can you kind of lead us into how this all began? Yeah, it's, it is kind of an odd story. The, the whole thing is peculiar, really. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I just grew up a um, big fan of horror movies. You know, the first movie I remember watching at all is Night of the Living Dead. And my favorite was always Creature from the Black Lagoon of the, you know, the universal classic. Chet is very afraid of horror. So uh, even the fact that I love the fact that I was going to already make fun of him for this, that you at five years old were interested in consuming far more horror movies than he can do now as a yeah. late 20s man. I, I would normally say I am like a five-year-old when it comes to horror movies, but now I think I need to move it back. You I, gotta, I guess you got to change your bar. I guess I'm like a three-year-old. <laughs> Chet, it's okay because, you know... The, the thing is, when I was introduced to that stuff, it was with my mom and we were watching old stuff. And if you watch like old black and white, whether it's Twilight Zone or Not a Living Dead, yeah, it's scary. But it's also it can be seen as sort of hokey, you know, if you're in the right mindset. And if your mom is right beside you and she's like laughing along to it, it I think it in me, it sort of it solidified or it brought horror to me in a way that was very non-threatening. That's fair. Um, and it sort of it brought it to me in a way that it said, this is something to be enjoyed. You're with your mom, who you love, and she's having a blast, and she's invited you and only you to watch this with her. And, it, you know, it was something that was very fun. Uh, so don't feel bad. Daniel, I'd prefer that you didn't, uh, you, you didn't make him feel better about the situation. I would prefer to just, <laughs> just directly needle him about it. Rodney. The key is I need to watch it with Daniel's mom. That's, That's the key. That's, I don't think – I think you missed the message. Oh. That was not what he was saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue on, Daniel. So I don't know. I mean time passes. I'm in high school. The best I've been able to nail it down uh, is I, my best guess is I was maybe 15 years old. And I kind of remember the moment when the idea came to me. There was nothing glamorous or interesting. I was kind of standing – by the tennis courts. And I don't know if I was playing tennis at the time or watching someone play tennis. I mean, who the hell knows? But for some reason, I just remember playing <laughs> tennis court. And kind of like usual in my life, I wasn't really thinking about what was going on. I was thinking about like monsters and stuff like that. Okay. And I just had this uh, idea that was kind of came out fully formed that was, that it was quite simply uh, a creature from the Black Lagoon type creature that had been taken from the Black Lagoon and was in some sort of government lab. 
and in some sort of tank, and there was a janitor who befriends the uh, the monster and uh, has some sort of generates some sort of relationship with it and decides to break it out and take it home to her tub. And that was it. That was the extent of it. And that remained the extent of it for many years. So anyway, I wrote this novel called Rotters. It came to the attention of Guillermo del Toro, and he ended up blurbing the book. And and then not too long after that, he was looking for a co-author for an idea he had called Troll Hunters. And my guess is I was just sort of in his mind because he had read Rotters, and so he thought of me for it, and he was um, in Toronto shooting Pacific Rim at the time, and uh, we had this sort of now famous breakfast where we just kind of got together for a few hours at this little diner, and then at some point the conversation turned to something that um, that segued into this uh, idea that I had from a long time ago, and I think I was sort of generally aware that Guillermo liked Creatures from Black Lagoon. Um, I certainly didn't come to Toronto to pitch him an idea. That was the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, it's just this idea just popped into my head conversationally. And I said, oh, yeah, you, you'll probably enjoy this. I've been trying to crack this story for since I was 15 about this. Um, exactly what I told you, that, that, that small concept. And he yeah. said, that's, that's wonderful. That's really beautiful. Um, and then I kind of was embarrassed. And I was like, all right, let's get back to Troll Hunters. And he kept kind of pulling me back towards it. He said, no, no, let's talk about this a little bit more. And like very quickly, like it seems like within like a minute or two, he said, I love this. I want to option the story. This is going to be my next movie. So it was kind of weird. You yeah, know? that's crazy. It doesn't happen every day. Uh, and, and I was, you know, I was, you know, completely excited by it. And that was, and I thought it was really uh, amazing moment. And I think it's a moment that now he and I look back and I'm, it's kind of a magical moment. But in, in practice, nothing really happened for a long time. Um, so Define a long time. Well, a few years, okay. I would say. He, he went on to make um, Crimson Peak. And, you know, ideas and books and whatever get optioned all the time and they don't get made. Um, so no huge surprise for me. I just kind of went on with my life. But every once in a while, because he had ignited my interest in it, um, I would take occasional notes and flesh it out a little bit on my end. Um, not not intensely, but a little bit here and there. So finally we get to, I guess, last year? My timeline's getting fuzzy, but anyway, he, he kicks into high gear with the movie all of a sudden. Was there any conversation that like led to him like letting you know? So obviously it, it had been optioned, but he's working on other projects. Like, Had you got any lead time at all that he was going to... like? now focus on that? Yeah, I mean, I did. It, it, I mean, I'm sure he was, he probably worked on it for quite a while before really telling anyone about it. Like, I think he worked on the creature designs and a, and a lot of things for a long time. For obvious reasons, if you're Guillermo, you don't really want to talk too much about projects you're working on until you're kind of sure that that's where you want to go because then everyone starts talking about, why didn't you make this movie or what happened to that movie? So, but at some point, yes, he told me he was going to, uh, make this movie. Um, but, but charitably, of course, um, he was like, well, I don't want you to not write your novel. So why don't we write it together? We just came up with this kind of weird solution where we would sort of do them parallel. So we worked on the, the book and we started working on the book, uh, you know, at some point in pre-production and the work went on 
through production and then along through post-production. Guillermo's really adamant about things being their own thing. Um, and I was really adamant about that too. I wanted to write a full-fledged novel that I'd always wanted to write. So he, uh, with his ideas, and I was able, and this is the interesting part. This is where it gets to be like sort of a fajita of a project. Uh, because it's sort of like I had a central idea. He combined it with his ideas. He's been also trying to crack a story like this since he was um, six years old or something. And then he came up Can with I a story about that really quick. So like yeah. he, uh, you know, I heard, I think on the golden globes him say him say that as well. Cause then, you know, even as Chet and I were first working, I, like I remember him saying like it, it had, it had been an idea that he had had or something along those lines, like for a really long time. So like, was that surprising to you? Like, I don't know. Like, did that come out in that initial conversation as well? Like that, I'm not saying that they were probably the exact same concept necessarily, but, um, could you just talk a little bit more about the same idea that he might have been trying to crack? Yeah, yeah. I don't think they were the same idea. It was more like uh, he had been, since he was very young, interested in the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, I think he said in a lot of interviews that he saw it as a child and really wanted those two, the creature and the woman, to end up together. Uh, and I think, and I'm not positive about this, but I think over the years he was even attached to it. Black Lagoon remake at some point. So it's just something that he's been interested in, uh, but wasn't able to ever do. And I think my idea kind of cracked his idea. Like okay. He said, ah, ah, that's how we approach it. We go in through, as he likes to put it, goes to go in through the back door with the, uh, the janitor. And that's how we create this story. Gotcha. So, so when I say fajita, it's sort of like my idea that he then turned into a story that I then was able to fold in ideas that I had been working on for the novel. And so it's sort of this, you know, typically if you have a novelization, you have somebody who has nothing to do with the process, sort of just sort of fictionalizing the screenplay. Right, exactly. Where I was involved with it from the very, very beginning, and it was sort of a uh, childhood idea turned into screenplay, turned into book with me adding stuff that I was developing apart from the screenplay. So it's this weird sort of combination of things. Uh, but I think it pulls together, you know, really kind of beautifully. And, uh, you know, the whole, it is sort of an experiment, you know? Oh my gosh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that's where our fascination lies and, and truly it's the idea of like, this is not, this is not your typical procedure. <laughs> you know, this is the idea that the the film and the novelization were being written uh, similarly yet separately simultaneously like you had this this mastermind idea he loved it he ran with it you decided look i was going to flesh it out more in the novel and yet the the two projects will forever be linked despite the fact that there are probably inherent differences and i think the bulk of our our next few questions uh the bulk of the next few questions are, are really are centered on i guess the differences between the film and the novel and i understand that the novel yet has yet to be actually released to the public. Is that correct? Yeah, it comes out on February 27th. Sure. All right. And so, I mean, and, and we, lo- we want to hear as much about this as you're willing to give. You know, if you don't, don't want to give out spoilers, that's, that's your prerogative. Don't, you know, totally understand that. But, um, you know, I guess, like, generally speaking, one of the main things we, we heard was that uh, one of the differences is that Michael Shannon's character uh, is not the villain in the novel, despite being an extremely compelling villain in the yeah. film terrifying that's that's sort of correct in a weird kind of way uh he he performs the same uh role 
except in the novel, he's more like a second lead with Eliza. So he's his character is much bigger, and I think there's um, I spend a lot more time with him, and I think I build a lot more uh, sympathy for him than maybe you have time to do in a movie. Uh, I think there are moments where you can sort of understand his struggle and his his kind of inner pain in the movie. Uh, but you know, a movie's only two hours long; you can only do so much. Uh, the book really, really uh, goes deep into to Strickland. Um, the opening of the book is is heavily about um, Richard Strickland when he's in the Amazon um, going after the creature. No, I could, yeah, completely. I can see that, and I think there are certain elements too that, as I watched the movie, I did wish I had more. You know, and that's kind of you know even as I left it, I, I remember telling Chet, you know, like I, I was I was kind of craving more. Um, and I guess you know one question that we we've kind of hinted at, but we talked about was that there is that certain point. Um, and again, this is something that we read, so I guess you can comment on whether this is true or not, but that at a certain point you didn't want to know any more about what was happening with the movie, like, you know, what direction that it was going, uh, as you were working, like, what was your biggest concern with hearing any more about that? If that, if that is the case? Well, I think that was mostly for me. I think, um, you know, I was invited to come up to the movie, but, uh, on the one hand, it seemed like, they were shooting at night with rain machines and it sounded miserable. So I didn't want to do that, <laughs> but also, but also more, uh, less practically and more sort of, uh, uh, stylistically, I was just following the, the, you know, sort of what Guillermo and I did with troll hunters. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to follow the, I don't want to be overly influenced by the movie, you know, like yeah. the story, most of the story beats are similar, not all of them, but most of them. Uh, but I didn't really want to see any uh, set designs. Um, I never really got a look at the creature. Um, uh, not that I couldn't have. I just kind of stayed away from it. Mm -hmm. I, I really wanted the novel to be its own thing. I think it's very, very – It's well, I'm guessing, but I'm guessing it's probably pretty easy to, you know, once you've seen too much, to feel like it's not – your thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes complete sense. It's almost like you would maybe now question any ideas you had, how original were they? Or is it some sort of subconscious thing you picked up from seeing what they were doing on set or, yeah. you know, you wanted to keep it, keep the processes. It seems to be as pure as possible when you're, you're doing the novel. Um, yeah, that's right. Completely, completely understand that. Um, in regards to the creature itself, uh, we're doing a little bit of research on the novel. Obviously we haven't read it cause it's not out yet, but um, we read that there is more of a focus on the mythology of the creature in the novel, more of a background story to the creature itself. Um, for anyone who has yet to see the film, basically we're introduced to the creature already in captivity. So we know very little about where it comes from. Um, and you know, we learn what we learn about the creature is kind of in real time, mm -hmm. but the, I guess my understanding is that the novel delves deeper into its backstory. Is that, is that true? And I guess as a follow up question, if that's so, do you think that the lack of that in the film took away from the story in any way? No. I mean, I think there's, there's things you can do in the film that uh, – or in, in a film that are sort of these kind of magical, magical moments that you can't do in a book. I, you can do so much with a look or a gesture or we're talking about Strickland, sort of a, a pained look on his face. There's so much you can do that – allows it to be interpreted in so many different ways. The novel is an entirely different kind of beast. 
so no, I don't think that takes away from the movie at all. I think uh, the movie, I was really impressed, you know, having been enmeshed in the book that how much of it Guillermo was able to get in there in just two hours. I was, it, I mean, to me, having, you know, been so deeply involved in the book, the movie feels insanely fast to me. <laughs> like it just flies by. Uh, and I'm so impressed with, with uh, how much is still, he's still able to get uh, the mythology in the, in the, in the book. Um, you know, it's, there's not a ton of it. It's it, but there's, there is significantly more. It's sort of inter, intertwined with uh, the Strickland stuff when he's in the Amazon and he's uh, learning about the creature from the locals. Um, and then there's a couple key points in the book where we go into the creature's point of view. Um, and this, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And this is uh, very different. This is, Oh yeah. Not, I guess I'll just say it's not, it's not presented in standard sentences, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you, can you, I mean, without, without reading oh. an excerpt, you don't want to give us any uh, spoilers, but what do you, what do you mean? Is it, is it, primitive is it it's yeah you know i can't say too much about it i think sure uh, that's fair yeah i think when you when you come upon those passages it does something in particular that changes immediately changes what you think of the creature and what it is and what it isn't um just through the 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 way language is used Mm -hmm. um and it does something very key that then returns at the very end of the book. And it does, it's something that I think just to be sort of discovered um, when you read it. Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds great. I I can't wait. I can't wait to read it. (laughs) From my perspective, you know, like not to be gratuitous, but I think that's what's so cool to me to be able to talk to, you know, the writer, or even, you know, just writing in general, the ability to kind of climb into that mindset. I just know it's like, it's so far beyond me to to even think like, okay, now I'm going to write from a creature's perspective. (laughs) Let me. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know where. I, I I spent a long time thinking about how to do it and if I should do it and what would be the point of doing it. You know, like I wasn't. I, did, I had no interest in doing it if I couldn't. If I couldn't add something big right. to the, the 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 character and the um, the mythology, uh, something big and universal. And it, I, I said too much. You you will just have to see. Sure. I mean, so what you're saying is, and we won't we won't tell, we will leave it at this. But what you're saying is the reason you don't want to get into it is because it's not just a stylistic choice, but it actually becomes a plot point in and of itself. It's it it changes it changes the conception of the creature. I think. Sure. Yeah. Just buy the book, people. Yeah. Go go read the book. Let's get this book. Let's give it out to our <laughs> listeners. Do some sort of a contest. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, Daniel, I, another question, another uh, choice that was made for another main character. Um, it's extremely interesting to think that, you know, essentially for lack of a better term, the creature of the black lagoon is part of the love interest. But, uh, the other, the other side of that love story is a character who is mute, which, um, I think was a really creative and interesting choice is, is, is that the same in, in the novel as well? Yeah, it is. And what, what led to that decision? I mean, it's one thing to have, uh, a creature fall in love with a woman, but then also a woman who can't communicate to anyone verbally, uh, be that, be that character. Was there anything specific that led to that choice? Yeah. In, in many ways that was really Guillermo's choice. Um, it, I had always had uh, a conception of, I don't want to go deep into it cause it's not the way, it, uh, way we ended up going with it, but there was always going to be a, uh, sort of language issue. 
um, that effectively um, made the the creature and the janitor um, both beings that couldn't communicate mm-hmm. like other people could. Uh, it was Guillermo's specific idea in his story to make her mute, um, which I think is is was simpler and more beautiful and uh, just a lot better than what the ideas I was tossing around. Um, so that that's really uh, goes credit to him. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, one of the last questions that we have is, um, all right. So, you know, you obviously know, uh, know the novel and then you've seen the movie. Um, what were your favorite elements of each that weren't in the other? So like, what was your favorite element of the movie, uh, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't in the book and what's, you know, your favorite element in the book that might not be in the movie? Well, the movie, there's, there's so much, I mean, there's, there's sort of the, uh, musical sequence in the movie that, is in no way in the book. Uh, I don't see how one could possibly <laughs> pull that off the book. Uh, it's purely cinematic uh, sequence. Um, and my hat's off to Guillermo for pulling that one off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was difficult. There's, there's little things. Um, there are things that Richard Jenkins does in the movie that uh, just make me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had my own kind of conceptions of his character um, and I always, it, it's a, it's a jealousy, but it's a good jealousy when you, when you see someone who like, who kind of beats you. <laughs> like I had my conceptions of the character and I like, I like to, in my own way, think, all right, I nailed it. But there's a, there's a couple of moments with Richard, J- Richard Jenkins where I'm just like, ah, you know what? He did it better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you sit there and look at the publishing date and go like, I've got a month. Maybe I can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're they're definitely uh, they're definitely some things, and that's what you get with you know actors. They they can just bring something unpredictable. There's things about Strickland in the book that you know make me very sad in a way um, that I that I really like. You know, something I do a lot in my books that I for some reason I'm drawn is, is trying to develop empathy for the bad guy. You know, when I can feel myself getting teary-eyed over the situation of somebody who's ostensibly the villain, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I've done, I've done my job because you know life is full of good people doing bad things, right. bad people doing good things, and it's all very complicated. And I, I think any time we can kind of see past divisions, it's it's a good positive thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Well, listen, uh, Daniel, we, uh, we so appreciate you coming on and we have now what's called, um, rapid fire questions. I will be honest with you. I could sit here and talk with you about the film all night. Uh, but I did tell you we would only take like 20 minutes of your time and we've already, we've already, uh, been, we've already gone over that. So we have, we have some rapid fire questions for you. And essentially what this, what these represent is just a fun way for our audience to hear our guests answer sort of, again, top of mind answers as one word as possible. Uh, and Rodney and I are not allowed to comment. Uh, we just have to move on to the next question after you answer. Okay. So are you ready to go? I guess so. Okay, Rodney's got the first one. If you've listened to an audiobook, can you say that you have read the book? Yes. Which actor would play you in the Daniel Krause movie? Oh, the B.J. Novak. Oh, nice. Uh, okay, if you had to choose a different character to be the creature, to be the monster in the Shape of Water film from Star Wars, 
Would it be Jar Jar Binks, Chewbacca, or Yoda? Yoda. Good, so we have some wisdom. Pick one source of entertainment for the rest of your life. Movies or books? Books. Um, okay, so this movie's been nominated for 13 awards, potential awards. Uh, aside from Best Picture, which is the one award you hope that The Shape of Water wins? Well, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I, I'm i going to say uh, score. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll go with that. I don't want to pick favorites out of actors. All right, and the next one. Daniel, what is one movie you would recommend to our listeners to help take back movie night? Okay, so I picked a movie that's uh, available on Netflix. Um, it's uh, a Mexican film uh, called, well, the American title you'll find it on Netflix under is called The Similars. It's very much like a extended episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, it's essentially, I think it's five people, and they're in this bus station, and they're caught in this storm, and they're waiting for the buses to arrive. And they start having uh, seizures one at a time over, over the passage of the movie. And here's where it gets weird. Uh, everyone's face starts changing to look like one of the characters. Um, and it's, it's hilarious, but it's also really disturbing at times. And it's, it's one of the thing, one of these movies that, you know, I don't know what it's rated, but it could be easily rated P 13. Um, even Chad could watch it. <laughs> oh, hey, hey now. So, <laughs> Thank you. Now you get it. <laughs> wait, what, so wait, what is that called? That's called the Similars. The Similars. Similars. Um, and it's really funny and, and creepy and, uh, um, just, it's a real joy to watch. Well, uh, I learned I learned a lot in this episode. I learned that uh, we now know someone who refers to uh, the director, Del Toro, as just Guillermo, yeah. uh, which is far more than I could ever hope for. Uh, <laughs> and that also Daniel admitted that most times when he's supposed to be focusing on something, he's already thinking of a new project. So Rodney, there's a chance he came up with a new project while doing this episode with us. That's true. We'll take full credit for it. This way, all the success he goes on to have, we'll say he must have thought of that. It must have been from us on this episode. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so Daniel, we, we do truly appreciate you, you joining the show. Um, we look forward to the novelization. I can't wait to read that. Um, having already seen the film, I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can't thank you enough. Yeah, you bet. <laughs>